Support for this podcast comes from the Partnership for Responsible Business, encouraging the development of sustainable communities through inspiring and empowering collaborative economic and community development, highlighting the connection between protected public lands and local economies, and by facilitating environmentally and socially responsible business. More information at prbnewmexico.org. Welcome to the Homegrown Economies podcast, a brand new program from the Las Cruces Green Chamber of Commerce in beautiful southern New Mexico. I'm Kerry Hamblin, the CEO and president of the Las Cruces Green Chamber of Commerce. Homegrown Economies spotlights the economic impact to communities by local businesses, nonprofits, public lands, tourism, and the outdoor industry. Every two weeks, we will either profile locally owned businesses and talk about the creative ways that they have adapted to the pandemic, or we will spotlight those businesses or organizations that are connected to our public spaces and lands, the outdoor economy, and tourism. Today on our program, we feature Russell Hernandez and Christopher Shaljo, the co-owners of one of our locally owned businesses, Salud de Mesilla. Salud de Mesilla has been in existence for five years now, even though like many businesses uh, would like to uh, block out last year um, because it's just been such a nightmare, but we'll talk about that. But they sit on the edge of the city of Las Cruces as you head into the historic town of Mesilla. On that road that serves as the gateway to Mesilla, which is a town full of Western history and culture, tourists either stop at or will at least see Salud as they drive into the town. Now, just to let you know, this is where Billy the Kid was sentenced to be hung for the murder of Sheriff William Brady, only to be hunted down later by Pat Garrett. Mexican food is a common fare in our region, but Salud certainly offers a taste of the Southwest for visitors, but for also, you know, those of us who live in the area and are regulars that like to go back time and time again, they offer unique foods. And so Russell and Christopher, it is so lovely to have you here on Homegrown Economies. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having us. Yes, Carrie, thank you very much. Well, I noticed that you are sitting in the Oregon Mountain Room uh, on our Zoom call, and, and that room is very unique, and you've been one of the many businesses that have really tapped into kind of co-owning the Oregon Mountains Desert Peaks National Monument. You've been one of the first businesses to really uh, take uh, an investment in our public lands, and I'm certainly grateful for that. Um, was really sad when uh, the bark piece got removed from the wall that was the shape of our lovely Oregon Mountains. I was really sad when that got into it. And we're going to get into like how you've adapted to COVID because that's really kind of a question and, and showing people how businesses can be creative and, and modifying how they do business. But I'd, I'd like to go back into like when you had the idea to create Salud de Messia. Russell, you and I met before this restaurant was even in business. And, and I remember the day that you told me, I think I'm going to do this. And so uh, tell me about, you know, how the idea of Salud de Messia began. You know, Carrie, I'd, I'd love to say that that was not too long ago, but if you can believe it, it's it's almost, we're coming this up, but coming April, we'll be entering our sixth year uh, business, which is crazy how t- time flies. Uh, we, we started off on this journey uh, and just wanting to have a little bit of fun. We didn't know that we were going to be doing a restaurant or I didn't know I was going to be doing a restaurant at that point in time. Uh, and then an opportunity came about. Uh, the the namesake kind of, you know, comes from Salute or Cheers, wanting to create that kind of unique where everybody knows your name from the old TV show uh, and, you know, really creating a personalized experience. Uh, not to mention that when we thought of the name, we were sitting around 
a table enjoying a glass of wine and, you know, kind of did the cheers thing. So salute, here we are. And, you know, there, there it goes. Um, There's our name. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, from, from a marketing aspect, we like to incorporate it all the way around. So uh, salute literally means to your health. Uh, So we like to have some of the healthy options in our menu more so when we think of healthy options, we think about those dietary restrictions uh, that, that are necessary in today's environment where we have vegan options, vegetarian options, gluten-free options, things like that, uh, and really make a fully encompassing menu. And that's kind of what we, we tried to do. We tried to make a little bit of a chic kind of fun atmosphere uh, that stands out from the rest. Uh, you know, different textures on the wall as far as it pertains to what we have going on. Uh, different music, different feeling in every room uh, to kind of mirror that effect that we have on our on the menu and then trying to excel and, and level out the service and, and what we do. Uh, so that's salute in a nutshell, if you will. Uh, well, but a and, little bit fun, our baby brainchild, if you will. Right. Well, and Christopher is like a home remodeling master, you know, because, you know, when you were doing those projects, Christopher, you and I have always talked about home projects. And so, right. you know, there are the pennies on the wall, there's pieces, you know, of wood, the way that you've got the textures behind you. Um, and, you know, when you talk about it being like cheers, you know, and I don't know if this is a good thing or a bad thing, but I mean, most of your staff that have been around from the beginning know me. And, and I think that's a wonderful thing. And, and we'll talk about customer service because I think that's really critical to the success of Salud. Um, and so what were some of the challenges that you faced uh, when you started? Because, I mean, you, you didn't have to build a building from scratch. You, you went into an existing building. Um, but I remember that there was some like ventilation stuff that you had to address and plumbing and all these different expenses that you're like, oh, this is great. We're going to start a business. But then you're like, oh, my gosh, now we've got to now we've got to do this. Well, I, I want to say, you know, you kind of bring up a good point because we have, we, we donned a tagline where unforeseen surprises await you, <laughs> but that, that, that tagline was literally because we wanted to create the unforeseen surprise for you, but in opening a business on your own and, you know, not knowing what you're getting yourself into, there's a lot of unforeseen surprises that come at you and they come flying 90 miles an hour at 10 different directions and you just got to be uh, prepared to take the swings, you know, so uh, just like you mentioned, you know, we had some issues with the building. We worked with our landlord to get some of those under control. Uh, you know, there's being a, a small business and uh, not having the, the base necessarily of, of clients coming in. Uh, we start from the ground up. Uh, so a lot of marketing efforts, a lot of getting out there, getting to know people uh, and creating an experience and trying to deliver that experience is what we've really focused on. When we first opened and we're just sitting here all day, every day. And you're like, we open, like people should be flooding in here. Where are they? And I'm just sitting and like, literally, I just used to sit there and like a car would pull up and you would see me like run out, like just so excited. I'm just like, who knew you had to work hard to get butts and seats, right? Like who knew you had to do that? So it was definitely a learning curve and learning experience at the very beginning. But, but those guests that were driving up like that, they were, they were actually going to the gift shop next door not to come see us. So. <laughs> and you're like, we got to tap into that. We got we yep. to gotta get to those folks. Well, and, and part of it was really just the nurturing of relationships and, and, and getting out there in the community. And I, I've heard that like once you get past the three-year mark as a business or as a restaurant, especially, 
you can kind of relax a little bit because isn't that where you kind of paid off? It's that's a total <laughs> urban myth. What is that? I've never uh, even heard of that. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, because you you had a bit big expenses. Is the restaurant industry profitable? You you do it as a labor of love, honestly, and love for being around people, and that's that's what we do, you know. So it's it's our our. I don't know. It, it, I've done this. I've been in this industry for over 20 years now. And it's crazy to think that. Um, thanks. Um, <laughs> but, um, you know, it's, it's, it's some, I don't know, like if I, I tried dipping out of it for a couple of years and if I didn't have that customer interaction, it, it's just different. And, you know, um, I missed it so much that I had to get back into it. And I don't know what I would do differently if I weren't doing this. Uh, the, the people that I see every day, the experiences that I make, the smiles on my team members' face, that, that gets me going more than anything. Um, so, and that's why COVID was extremely hard when we did that. Right. We'll talk about that later. Yeah. Well, and Christopher, you know, you've got a business background, right? Or no, it's, have, it's government. Government, yeah. So how was this for you? I mean... It's a labor of love. <laughs> My love for Russell is <laughs> no. Um, no, it's actually like I've always been around people, like whether it's in the background or wherever it is, like it's always around people. So it's all customer service based, it's all making a connection, you know, making them feel at home. So yeah, it's different. It's not what I was like, I'm gonna do this. Like, no. But like I did manage a Papa John's throughout high school and part of college. So like I kind of knew what I was getting myself into, but definitely not like my do all end all career choice, but it's really paid off. I mean, I love it. It's, it's fun coming to work, seeing everyone, seeing our regulars, meeting new people from wherever they are from, you know, always coming in, especially since we're in that corridor of Missio, we get a lot of tourists coming through that are excited about, you know, our wine list or something like that. And they sit down and they're like, we're from Guam. I'm like, that's awesome. You know, welcome. So I like it. It's, it still focuses a lot on, you know, customer service and people skills. So I got well, it. Well, and on that note, I mean, you really, you talk about how important it is to nurture relationships. And as the owners, I mean, that's your job. I mean, in addition to the 20,000 other jobs you have to make sure that the restaurant runs. But, you know, one of the things that I've always noticed about Salud and just the staff is that you really push customer service. I mean, it is, it is first and foremost. And, um, you know, a couple of years, it was your first year and Mother's Day was a hard, a hard holiday for you, I think, your first year. That was brutal, right? Oof, yeah. Yeah. And, um, and you, you wound up like really kind of nurturing, like if, if it, you know, and your crew was just kind of figuring it out, it was your big, big holiday. And, um, you know, I know somebody that you worked on, like kind of repairing that, you know, because they didn't have the best experience there. And that was something that you still to this day are wanting to make sure when people, you know, are, are there in your restaurant or they're getting your food, that they have a pleasant experience. Mm -hmm. And, how do you teach that to your, your wait staff and your managerial staff? Or is that something that you're like, that is a big requirement when you're interviewing them is like how well they're going to interact with people. 
I mean, go ahead. That's one of my favorite questions during an interview. Like, tell me a hard time in your life that you had to deal with, like a social interaction that was negative, whether it was at a job or with a coworker or, you know, with a friend, like what happened? How did you deal with it? And what was the outcome, right? Like, that's my favorite question. And they just sit there and they look at you and they're like, one time I was straightening a lady's hair and her hair fell out. And it's like, okay, how do you deal with that? Like, that's a great one, right? But um, like, that's my favorite one to see like how they can interact with that. So that was definitely always one of my interview questions. But also like, I think they, like over time that we have our team with us, they pick it up from us. Like they'll see us like go out there and talk to the guest and handle a situation whether it's really, really positive or, you know, every once in a while you have a negative experience and you have to deal with it head on and they, you know, they stand by you and they listen to how you handle it and how you approach a situation and, you know, conflict resolution. And I think a lot of it's like training that they get from us without even us knowing that we're teaching it, right? You know, we're so familiar with guest experience and they pick it up from us a lot, I think, like by happenstance. Well, what do you think, you know, are there, is there kind of like a boilerplate as to what qualities make a successful business or do you, you know, like if we're talking about the restaurant industry, you know, what, what are the things that you should have as like a checklist of like, if you're going to open a business, you better cover these things. An accountant. Accountant. An accountant. Elaborate, elaborate a little bit more for me. Just having someone checking your work, right? Like a CPA, the biggest godsend we ever did was like, we went into this with no accountant. And then we were like sitting there figuring it all out in the planning stages. And we went and talked to an accountant and we were like, wow, you're so smart, (laughs) you know? And I think that was like, that is one of the things that like I'm grateful for all the time is the fact that we have someone that is like our you know, a rebound wall, like, hey, this is what we're doing, like thoughts. And they tell you like, yeah, great. Or, hey, we need to look at this, you know, buckle down the hatches, like, hold on. You know, that I think that was one of the biggest things that I never thought of until you're in the middle of it. And you're like, you're awesome. Type mm-hmm. thing. So, okay. So making sure you have somebody help you keep your books in order. Books, checks and balances type in. I think on the back end that's important, but I think that there's, you know, on on the the front end on as far as it pertains to the business, and it's something that we actually drive in uh, when we go through our orientation with our team. Is there's three three biggest things that are important to all of us. Uh, those those big things are number one that we have excellent customer service. Number two, that we have excellent food and we provide a, a culinary experience. And then number three, we have the atmosphere that can co- coincides with all of that and helps create that. Uh, because if you think about it, uh, and this is basically what we tell people, is if you drive all three of those home every single time, your guest is more likely to come back day after day after day. Uh, if somebody has a great uh, experience uh, and you know the the place is kind of fun and hip, but the food's eh, it's okay. They'll probably come back next week or the week after, but they're not going to come back tomorrow. Um, and if you only hit one of those, and they have a great experience, but the you know the food was horrible and the atmosphere just isn't great, uh, they'd probably say, oh well, this place has some kinks to work out. We'll try them back in a couple of months. 
a couple of months in, in, in any small business can mean that they close their doors if they're not getting that return guest. So it's really about creating that experience. And those are the three areas that I always talk about and focus on as far as the success of business. Well, and I, I don't know if this is the case in other cities, but it just seems to be the case in Las Cruces that customers will give you two times mm-hmm. to get it right. And after that, mm-hmm. then you're kind of dead to them. We're totally, we fit that bell. Yeah. That bell. Right, right. Um, well, fellas, we're going to take a short break. We'll be right back. We're talking with Russell Hernandez and Christopher Shaljo, the co-owners of Salud de Mesilla, one of our premier restaurants in Las Cruces. We'll be right back after this message from our sponsor. podcast is brought to you by Sinuate Media, guiding businesses through marketing technology challenges and opportunities to connect with current and new customers, offering web design, hosting, social media, public relations, and more. Sinuate Media, organic marketing at its best. More at S-I-N-U-A-T-E media.com. are back with Russell Hernandez and Christopher Shaljo, the co-owners of Salud de Mesilla, one of the premier restaurants in Las Cruces as you head into the gateway of the historic town of Mesilla. Now, you know, I don't think any of us thought that we would still be here almost a year later uh, in terms of social distancing, limited seating, shutdowns, um, extended sanitary requirements, which is not necessarily a bad thing, but, you know, you want to make sure that everything gets covered. And so when the pandemic started, like kind of being taken seriously, which is when we saw it in March, um, what did that mean for your business? Big big turnarounds and quick turnarounds uh, more than anything. What do you mean by turnarounds? So, you know, we had to react fast uh, and super quick on multiple levels in order to save the business uh, and to, to really help out. You know, when we got the, the, the orders for the possible shutdown, uh, Chris and I had already, you know, been discussing the, the possibility of that and what that would look like. Coming up with the game plan, uh, then we then we hit the button on it, you know. So having, like I say, having to lay off our team was probably one of the hardest things that we absolutely had to do. Um, but we knew that it was for the better, you know, uh, because there was no way that we'd be able to sustain the business to to keep them employed. Uh, to keep them happy and and to keep their livelihoods good, um, you know we needed to still provide some sort of experience and create exposure uh, for our guests and to keep that business going. So that's where we created different types of marketing programming to really get things going uh, and try to sustain what little we could uh, as far as the business goes. So you know rearranging your hours, rearranging days of operation. Uh, the, Food that you order, you know, re- reducing the menu, um, just trying to be creative, you know. So that's why I say multiple layers really uh, that come at you super quick that you got to react to and get fixed. So, yeah. well, and, and you did, you know, and you talked about some of the new restrictions that you were able to do. And one of the things that I commend you for, and you were one of the first ones to do it, was to offer family packs. Mm-hmm. of uh, of your meals um, so that people could easily do curbside pickup or, or takeout and still have that experience and you'd still be able to keep your doors open as, as best as you could. Um, 
you know, how was that, you know, in terms of like the, the outside dining, you were really fortunate because you have two patios that you've, you, you know, really developed. And so, you know, in New Mexico, we wound up having outside, uh, outside seating, uh, where people had to be six feet apart and all the sanitary stuff. In other cases, some businesses have had to like build outdoor seating. Um, and I can't imagine the expense that is for those businesses. Um, and, and so, you know, what did you, in comparison, like I'm sure you talk with other uh, restaurant owners and colleagues in the city, you know, how is that as an expense for you? And what are you hearing are expenses for other businesses that are having to create those spaces that fortunately your location already has? I mean, we, it's definitely a struggle. Um, you know, our, it, it was kind of funny that you said like earlier about your payoff being three years, right? Um, and it's funny because our first year, our gift to ourselves was putting on the back patio and getting that done. That was like our big gift. We were like, okay, one year we need more patio space, like let's do it. So we invested a lot of money into that second patio, which I'm glad we did when we did because we use it every day. Um, so like we understand that cost because we did it, you know, but you know, we do have a lot of friends in town that own restaurants that are patio, like they don't have a patio or they're, you know, we're taking off six to 12 parking spots and putting, putting up a canopy of some kind or a sunshade and trying to get people outside to keep their team employed. You know, that's the hardest thing is just, you know, coming up with the money when you're already on fumes from the original shutdown, right? When you weren't even allowed to have people on the patio and all that stuff. It, I know people are really hurting, you know? There's a lot of places where they couldn't even do patio seating or couldn't add on a patio because they didn't have any room, right? So I think, you know, there's a lot of restaurants in town that, you know, had to bite the bullet and some of them might not come back and that's sad. Um, so I can only imagine. But given, given our nature and the way that Chris and I are, that's one area that we always try to help out because we always try to have our hand within the community in more ways than one. You know, so when we see or talk to a, a friend, a uh, fellow business owner who may be struggling, we try to give some insight on, you know, what works well for us, what might help them. Uh, and then if they need help in creating that kind of programming, I mean, a lot of that we already have ready, you know, so they can just, plug and play and drop and do their own. Um, so it's it's a matter of, you know, working together because, and I think that's what's great about the, the Las Cruces community in particular, is that we're a tight-knit community. You know, we're, we're really focused on small business and local. And I think that together as a community, we don't want to see anybody fail. So we're going to do whatever we can possibly do to really support them. Well, you know, given the, 10 months that we've been experiencing this in terms of economics and jobs and health and by all means, I mean, the priority of that, um, but remote learning, what do you think should have happened that we could have, I mean, uh, that might be a whole complete other program, but I think in terms of, you know, businesses, what would have been the most helpful for you from the beginning? Time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, I mean, we did, we did, I think that we did the best that we could, uh, given what we were 
drawn, you know, the hand that we were drawn, we, we did what we could, you know, um, and, you know, there's, there can be any type of argument that there could be any, anything else done at any level within, you know, government to, to make things work. Um, but the thing is, like I say, it's just a matter of focus on, on what we need to do. I think that in planning wise, that's, that's a big part, you know, just as like, when, like I said earlier, when Chris and I were planning pre, pre-shutdown, what it would be like with shutdown and what that would look like, uh, it's still a continuation. You know, you still have to plan on what uh, it looks like in the future. When are we possibly going to reopen to indoor dining? When are we possibly going to move from that red to the yellow, to the yellow, to the green, and maybe even be potentially fully open again? Uh, if we get to that point, uh, you know, there's always those questions, the ifs and the whats and the buts, you know, so. When we talk uh, about the red to the yellow, the yellow to the green, that's a statewide uh, initiative to try and help people kind of visualize progress of becoming safer and uh, be able to get back to as close to normal as possible. Definitely. And so you, you've kind of alluded to this. How do you see COVID shaping how you do business in the future? You know, you said earlier that we started doing those family packs. We've continued that. And that's probably going to be something that we, you know, really focus on because it works, you know. Um, it's easy for someone to come in and pick up food for four and it's a really decent price and it's a lot of food. Um, so that's probably something that like has changed our mindset of businesses, you know, focusing on the curbside. Um, Russell and I made a decision a long time ago that we weren't going to do a third party delivery service when we first opened. Um, it just wasn't in our nature. It was, we, you know, we lost control of <laughs> how the food is presented and all that stuff, that experience. And then, um, we started. And then you also pay a fee to a third party deliver. 28% of wow. mm-hmm. yeah, revenue. Um, but you know, as soon as COVID hit, we were like, okay, we need to start looking at different avenues for revenue. And, you know, now we're on three delivery services, right? And, you know, we never thought we'd be focusing on that. And that's now you hear a ding and you see me running to get it in there as fast as I can. So we have that like low times that were first on the list. So people think of us first, we're fast and it's hot and all that stuff. Still creating an experience. Yeah. And, and we, you know, we changed up our to-go containers again. You know, they're biodegradable, but they look really nice. We even have little biodegradable taco holders that hold the tacos nice and neat. You know, we've really done a lot of focus on that to-go business. And that might be, you know, I see that carrying over for many, many years. You know, people like eating in their home now. They feel comfortable. They are a little more safe. Um, so I think that's a huge But on the difference. flip side, we also see people, you know, wanting to get out of their home, wanting to have an experience. And the important part of that experience when they come to dine out is providing a safe experience and ensuring that the safety protocols are being followed, you know, wearing masks, uh, you know, ensuring that social distancing is happening, the sanitary practices are consistently being done, uh, so on and so forth. And I, that's something that's going to continue on, I, I foresee for quite a while. I don't see that going away very soon. Um, yeah. the, the, the larger events and the larger parties are, you know, 
probably something that we won't see for quite a long time, you know. Uh, potlucks, I, I would say, are probably, you know, one of those things. Who knows? <laughs> but just, uh, you know, some thoughts. Definitely. Yeah. It's certainly forced us to kind of think about how we interact with people and how we do business and how we do remote learning and all this. You know, it's amazing how the pandemic kind of really amplified some of those things that we knew were challenges anyway when it comes down to like remote learning. And, but I, you know, I, I, I do see both of those. I, th- I see both of like the social element of wanting to hang out with people, but also the convenience of being able to do takeout now. And so it's also requiring that businesses redo their business model. Yep. and figure out how they're they're going to navigate because a business model is something that's really critical. Well, you know, I can't wait to, I mean, I have the luxury of being able to see your faces here, but I do, you know, I think like with everybody, you know, being able to give hugs again is like a priority, <laughs> you know? So I certainly can't wait to do that. But um, Russell and Christopher, it has been such a joy to talk with you on Homegrown Economies. And I'm so glad that you've been on the show and, you know, you are always welcome back if we want to talk about, um, you know, how you cook that amazing pork belly that's no longer on your menu. <laughs> but yes, but the Southwestern uh, chicken fried steak covered in green chili, which is what oh. we do. And we do best in Southern New Mexico, uh, better than Colorado, better than anybody else. Um, you know, that is always a favorite. I'm going to throw it down right there. <laughs> yes. So yeah. thank you boys so much for being here. It's always lovely to see you. And I appreciate you being our guests on Homegrown Economies. Awesome. Thank you, Thank you for having us. Russell Hernandez and Christopher Shaljo are the co-owners of Salud de Mesilla. More information on their menu, their hours, their curbside and takeout services can be found at saluddemesilla.com. Thanks for joining us today on Homegrown Economies. We will come to you every two weeks with conversations with business owners, outdoor groups, leaders in the outdoor rec field, and more. More information about our schedule and the Green Chamber of Commerce can be found at locallascruces.com forward slash homegrown. The music in this program is provided by local musician Randy Granger, a native flute player, guitarist, and one of the most talented on the hung drum, which is what you are hearing right now. You can find out more about Randy at randygranger.com. That's it for this edition of Homegrown Economies. I'm Carrie Hamblin, the CEO and president of the Las Cruces Green Chamber of Commerce. As we like to say at the Green Chamber, we want you to think local first and do what your mom always told you to do. Go play outside. Mm-hmm.